everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where only in our crazy world would our commute in this weather take less time than usual. Yep, not kidding you, snow and all. It took me less time to get in this morning than it does on a sunny day. Good morning, folks. Thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m., right after Charlie, right before Nachum's live lunch, as I hope to bring you a little entertainment a little news and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Just to give you a heads up, by the way, I will be uh, subbing in this afternoon for the live lunch. Uh, Rummy and I will be on together starting about 11 o'clock, starting in about an hour, I should say. So uh, you can make sure to send in all of your requests either to uh, Rummy at afnachamsegel.com or to me, Miriam at nachamsegel.com. We are coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network. Avram, is your uh, mic ready? Coming to you from the home of the Nachum Seal Network on the beautiful, slushy, snowy Lower East Side where I can barely see across the street. I am joined by my handy-dandy partner, Avrami. What's up? Not too much. Uh, working experimentally this morning, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, the only thing I need to a little bit on edge, but yeah. otherwise it's fine. <laughs> the only thing I need to do right now is throw you a ball to bounce <laughs> on your nose. <laughs> you are a well-trained seal this morning, my friend. I have to tell you, you're doing a great job. And it uh, makes me even happier that I made the effort to get you that bagel and cream cheese this morning. Oh, maybe Charlie can still hear me. Charlie, if you can still hear me, why don't you nod your head? Oh, he can. Okay. <laughs> I think it went well this morning. Excellent. It was great. It was great. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Mark Deemers did. You can friend me on Facebook. Send me an invite on LinkedIn. Also, shoot me an email, miriam at nachamsegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. Not being rude. Just being honest, I will make sure, however, to get back to you afterwards. Please also follow us on Twitter, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word, or Miriam L. Wallach, all one word. And that's how I met Mark, because he is now following us on Facebook and had uh, following us on Twitter. And how did he find us? Because, because of my first guest, because Bill Bray, who is actually on the line, I will get to Bill in a second, um, has a major following and is a wonderful guy and is going to join us in a couple minutes. And when I tweeted out that Bill was going to be on with me this morning, Immediately, <laughs> somebody else found us, which is all great. Anyway, today is an amazing show. Weather irrelevant to our programming here. Let's go to our favorite segment. You know what that noise means. It's a fortune cookie. Let's go to the fortune cookie. What does the fortune cookie say? Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. The greatest mistake a man can make is to be afraid of making one. Ooh, deep. Deep. Avrami is uh, actually just on uh, the uh, <laughs> is working 10,000 things now, so he can't give me his usual input on the fortune cookie. But I think I like this one. The greatest mistake a man can make is to be afraid of making one. I think I would have added the words at all at the end, but Confucius didn't check with me first. Today's national holiday is Employee Legal Awareness Day. I have no idea what that means. It's also yet a different name day. Um, I like my name. I'm really totally fine with it. I don't feel the need to get a different name, though... My maiden name is Man. That was a last name I shed pretty quickly, thank God. And Wallach is definitely better, even though when you're then called in the alphabet, you're no longer in the middle, you're all the way at the end. But that's okay. Um, it's also Madly in Love With Me Day. Not sure how you celebrate that. And please do not tweet or email me your suggestions. Uh, and more importantly, it's World Radio Day. I kid you not. It is World Radio Day. And in honor of that, we were giving away a kosher lamp from our friends at Kosher Innovations. And trust me when I tell you there is... There is a correlation. You know why? Because radio brings light to the world. How do you like that? Okay, so we have to talk to them about making a kosher radio for next year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I was on the phone with them the other day. They have a they have a bunch of new things coming out. It's pretty it's pretty incredible. So you can email us, email us win at nachamsegel dot com. And Avrami, what number should we take for winner? What are you feeling? Um, What are you feeling? I think eight because they keep predicting eight to ten inches in the city. Okay, I'll go with that. All right. Uh, email number eight at win at nachamsegel.com. We will get you your kosher lamp brought to you by our friends at Kosher Innovations. Also, I'm sure you've been noticing all the chocolate, you know, heart-shaped stuff and CVS and everything else. You should know that tomorrow is also, besides that Hallmark holiday, tomorrow is also Quirky Alone Day, which I thought was funny. It's World Marriage Day, and it's Singles Awareness Day. The only thing I know about Singles Awareness Day is that I'm sure that the singles are aware that they are single and that this makes it sound like an epidemic, which I can't imagine people think is funny. Either way, it's fascinating. Yesterday, by the way, was Pink Day 2014. A shout-out to my friends at Charcheret and everyone around the world who sent in pics as to how they celebrated and chose to raise awareness about breast cancer by wearing pink, myself included. Anyway, with my first guest on the line, I don't want to waste any more time. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. 
And my first guest, I'm so ha- I'm so happy we are finally able to connect. Bill Bray is on the phone. He is um he <laughs> I know this is going to sound funny, but for real life, he's a major league baseball pitcher. He spent 6 seasons with the Cincinnati Reds. He spent 3 seasons with the Nationals. He uh, had Tommy John surgery in 2009, missed all of last season due to shoulder injury, and he is presently recuperating and rejuvenating, uh, enjoying the weather, I am sure, and he is also currently at William & Mary studying finance and entrepreneurship as he rehabs. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you this morning? (laughs) How are you like? Yeah, how's that weather? Actually, really nice. We got about, I would say, two to three inches last night, but it all melted away this morning, so... Oh, so there is hope for us yet, because I will tell you that in the hour from the time that I cleaned off my car to go to the gym to the time I came out of the gym, it looked like I hadn't done a thing to my car. Yeah, but I mean, at least your city still functions. (laughs) Williamsburg gets a half inch of snow and it shuts down for a day or two. Oh, so you guys are all homebound. Mm Mm-hmm. No class for you today? No, because it melted today, but last week we got two inches and I was done for it. About 36 hours, like everything shut down. Oh, uh, my today. word. I think they're getting sick of it and washed to it, so they, they didn't cancel school today. Oh, well, then that's good, because I want to discuss for a second that, um, as I mentioned a second ago, you are studying finance and entrepreneurship at William & Mary, um, which is very exciting. Talk to me for a second about the correlation between baseball, finance, and entrepreneurship. Well, um, the correlation for me has been that I've always enjoyed business. Uh, baseball has was always my first love, and then business, once I started playing baseball as my job, kind of became my passion. It was kind of a flip dynamic. Um, and so I got involved with the union early on in my career, and that's something I found that I really enjoyed, the business side of baseball. I like negotiating, but um, contract negotiation, collective bargaining agreements, not totally my thing, but I really do like the business side, baseball cards, video games, um, licensing. And so as I've grown in that, I've come to appreciate how finance works in that. You, As a baseball player, you have to be able to take care of your own finances. Um, there's a lot of opportunities and some snares that come along with that. And then also as an entrepreneur, I, I kind of want to work for myself. Mm. And that innovative, creative, entrepreneurial spirit does play well into baseball and can also lead to other things like consulting. And um, it, the possibilities are endless. So as a um, as a responsible adult, I think is a possible is the, probably the best way to put it. Um, you know that as as you just said, there have been so many opportunities, and and you know as a as a person who sits in the stands, I can only imagine. You know, we all fantasize that living a baseball player's life is is that of what dreams are made of. But yeah, there are there are certain challenges. How do you, um, as a member of the players' union, how do you guide? Um, let's say freshmen or or you know rookies who come up and are and are finally in the major leagues to make sure that they that they stay true so to speak and that they don't hit those pitfalls. Um, you have to make sure that they're educated. Um, there's so many different aspects of the business side. You have to make sure that they understand their contracts. That that they have to understand their rights. What happens if they get hurt? What happens if they get sent down when they get called up? You know what are what are their expectations? Do they get seven days in a hotel, what happens if they're caught up on the road. Um, that's why we have like a thousand page, you know, rule book and collective bargaining agreement. And we, we kind of are responsible to make sure that they now know that if they're being called up for the first time, that they're subject to different um, drug testing rules. They're, there's the on the field things, how they're expected to actually you kind of bring them up in that aspect as well um, as a, Older player, more veteran player, you, you kind of make sure that they act a certain way. Um, but at the same time, you want to make them feel very welcome and comfortable because that's the way that you get somebody to play the best. When they can relax off the field, it's easier to play better on the field. That's really interesting. I don't, I don't know that if I, w- I, I would appreciate that. I always imagine that you know, baseball players, either you know, like other athletes, get into their zone, focus or whatever it is and and I don't know that I appreciate it until this second how much the camaraderie makes a difference um with the on-field performance I think 
in sports like football and maybe to an extent in basketball where you're not playing every day. I know football players on Sunday, they totally get in the zone. They go off, they do their own thing. Um, they put their headphones on, they zone. I think basketball players may do the same thing, but when you play a sport that's literally every single day, we get 21 off days pretty much from February to October. Wow. And um, so getting in the zone every night can be difficult. You do the best you can, and over the course of a three-hour game, myself as a relief pitcher, I can easily sit there and watch the game for two hours. And so, But I know in the fifth inning that it's time to get up, get moving, um, start to get myself into that zone to be prepared to pitch. That's, um, that's, that's, that's really interesting. You know, for me, when, either like before I go on the air or whatever it is, I try and do something that's completely irrelevant <laughs> to either the interview I'm going to do or, or whatever it is, just so that I can come in with a clean head, with a clean mind, with, you know, with a cleared, cleared vision. What do you do before you have to warm up in the bullpen? Usually, you're involved in the game. You watch the game. Um, about the fifth inning, I, I get up, I stretch, I make sure I'm loose. I may jog a little bit, you know, back and forth on that 60 feet that we have in the bullpen to run around. Um, we have pitcher's charts, or I, I'll call them pitcher's charts, but what it does is it explains the hitters. It gives me their weaknesses, their strengths, what they look for, whether they bunt, um, whether or not they like to steal. If a guy is fast. They like to steal bases. Um, I have to know who I'm coming in the face as a left-handed specialist, and I have to know which lefties are coming up in the order for the next inning. And then I also have to know which right-handed hitters they have on the bench because a lot of times in late in games, if I come in the face of a certain left-handed batter, they'll pinch hit for him. So I have to know that right-handed hitter's strength and weaknesses and how I'm going to attack and how I'm going to approach the situation. Got it. That is... There's, you know, as just again, just sitting there as a fan, sitting there as as a spectator, um, I have always appreciated. I'm not going to deny it. I've always appreciated the immense amount of skill that it takes to <laughs> to throw that pitch within that box. But I don't know if I got until this second the, you know, all of the the pregame, like the the that warm up, just how much you know that planning goes into. It's not just about the, the, the calls that are being made at the plate or the plays that are, you know, you're being instructed by, by the catcher. It's all about what you're being told to also in the bullpen. I didn't, I don't think I got until this second how far ahead you do that kind of planning. That's pretty incredible. There is a lot of planning. I mean, and I rely almost completely on my catcher once I'm out there. The catcher is commander of the field, and, and I think that's why catchers make great managers is because um, in Cincinnati, for instance, I'll use Ryan Hannigan. He knew every hitter like the back of his hand. I mean, it was unbelievable. He knew everything about every player. He knew every pitcher. And he knew how to best match my strengths against the hitter's weaknesses. And only rarely do we disagree on pitches, and that's when you see a guy shake off. Mm. Wow. You know, I, I, um, I'm sure that you were, you were aware, just like everyone else, about the news yesterday, which hit New Yorkers, about Jeter retiring after the 2014 season. It almost... You know, it's basically like Jeter's leaving and then I'm going to be left with A-Rod. And I totally don't want to discuss A-Rod. But I wonder if you could talk to me for a second um, about Jeter. And, you know, as, an, as a New Yorker, as a fan, it's going to be a major hit. But I wonder overall for baseball, when you have a guy like that, who on all accounts seems to be just such a mensch, such a straight, honest, you know, like, kind of guy, a leader, just the captain of the team who who either keeps to himself or, or just tries to do the right thing. How does that change the face of baseball? It changes it quite a bit. I mean, there is no doubt that Derek Jeter retiring is going to leave a void in Major League Baseball. Now, guys will step up to fill that, but, I mean, I think I tweeted out last night that I don't think we'll ever see another Derek Jeter hmm. in somebody as selfless and as humble off the field, as low-key off the field. I, I kind of think of him as low-key off the field. Um, and somebody that works as hard and will sacrifice himself for the team. I mean, it, I'm, I'm very disappointed. I think he's going to be, he should be the first unanimous Hall of Famer in my eyes. Mm. Um, and there are just things that, you know, most people don't even know. Um, I had a cousin that recently passed away. He was 11 from cancer. And Derek doesn't know me. 
but he was a huge Yankees fan, huge Derek Jeter fan. And about five years ago, um, through our media relations director in Cincinnati, Rob Butcher, who worked for the Yankees, we were able to set up to where when we played in New York, that my cousin Trevor was able to come up and meet Derek. Wow. And Derek took him on the field, introduced him to the team, let him stretch with him. And Derek doesn't know me from Adam. And what he was willing to do that for me. And I mean, that just speaks volumes about what kind of person he is. And it's probably something that most people don't see. And you might be upset with me for putting it out there. But I definitely think that the baseball world is going to be a little bit less without him. Wow. But every generation, there's usually that player, and baseball will bounce back. Somebody on the Yankees will step up. And I mean, you get, y'all have lost several great players. Mariano. Right. Are you kidding me? I let me tell you the pictures I have from the last game I was at that Mo pitched. Uh, you know, it's I'll never delete those pictures. I delete plenty of pictures, but you're right. There is something about just the 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 portrait of both of those men, and um, in the face of plenty of other forget baseball players, plenty of other sports figures who don't represent those values that really just leave them in such a glorious light. And then, yeah, I, I do wonder who's going to step up. I look at the personalities and the, I don't even know what the right word is, the, the egos that are left in, in the dugout. And I, and I wonder who's going to step up because, yeah, we bleed, you know, we bleed pinstripes around here. And, um, and New Yorkers, just like, just like Boston fans and just like many big cities, we take our baseball really seriously. But it's more than that. It's really about the portrait of the man and whether or not when he gets on the field, we're going to be able to sit there with our kids and say that, you know, look at that guy. That is a stand up guy, both on and off the field. I want to know that about I want to know that about the players who get out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's, somebody will step up. I mean, I, I think a guy's like Stan Musial. And I'm sure they thought the same thing when he retired. Um you know, Derek Jeter, Mariano, you know, they, as these guys, like I said, retired, you know, somebody will step up because they've now set the bar. And all the kids growing up right now, that's who they'll emulate. I had a chance to play with Ken Griffey Jr., and he was a wonderful role model. Wow. And, I mean, they, they do step up. And, you know, now we have Joey Votto in Cincinnati, and he's a good role model. He's a good person, and he's, he works extremely hard. And, and so... You may not ever have another Derek Jeter, but somebody will step up in a slightly different, changed way and, you know, continue that tradition of providing just that excellent example. Bill Bray joins us here at That's Life on the Nahum Siegel Network on this snowy Thursday morning. You know, Bill, one thing I want to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, us discussing values and, and making sure that, that you act as, that you are a role model is that I know that your faith and something that you and I have spoken about off the air, your faith is very important to you. You were brought you were brought up in a Presbyterian church. You're Christian, and um, most interestingly, <laughs> you don't really watch TV. I know that there's a TV in your house, but you have no antenna and you have no cable. It's probably just you know a place to put your coffee. But tell me what kind of a decision that was for you and your wife. You have you have a wife and two kids. Tell me about that decision as a family um, to you know limit your television and. Um, and limit that kind of, you know, that kind of, I don't even know what the right word is, distraction in your lives? Well, I'll definitely say that I grew up watching TV. I mean, up until about four months ago, I watched a lot of TV. Um, But like you said, I am Christian. It's something that is very important to me, and I try to live out my faith. And I truly believe that I can't do anything without God. Me getting to the major leagues, I can tell you firsthand that it's taken miracles by the Lord for mm-hmm. me. And just how I got there, how I got to William and Mary, how I met my wife, um, coming back from Tommy John, um, I experienced what I consider to be a miracle. Um, I wasn't healing while they were talking about doing their surgery, and I was running one day, and I just broke down, and I was on my knees, and I started crying. I just said, Lord, I cannot do this anymore on my own. I just can't do it. You want me to do something else? Just point me in the direction, and I'm gone. Otherwise, I need help. And literally, from that day, six weeks later, I was back pitching in the major leagues. Wow! And so, and, and that's one of the hard things is remembering that 
it's not about me. It's about who I want to portray, and that's the Lord, and that I represent him, and that I need to remember to give him the credit, which he is due. What? And, that's incredible. Explain to me, though, how your body turned around in six weeks. I mean, I have friends who complain that they can't go to the gym because, you know, they sprained their ankle about three months ago and it's never healed. No offense to the friends who are listening. But explain to me how you recouped, your body turned around in six weeks, and then you were back pitching. I, I was having a lot of issues with what I'll call zingers going down my forearm. Um, my nerve did not settle back into the groove on my collateral ligament replacement, so my nerve kind of sits above where it used to, and it, it can be plucked like a guitar string. And I was getting to a point where I could get to bullpens at about 50% effort, and then when I tried to ramp up above that, it felt like I was ripping something. Oh. And I was getting tingling sensation in my fingers. And they were starting to talk about doing a nerve transplant, which is where they or a relocation, where they just move the nerve into a different position. And that's another six-month rehab. Wow especially for a pitcher because you, you basically start over. It's three months that you can throw again, and then it takes another several months to get back in the pitching shape. And that would have cost me two full years. And at that point, it's very difficult to start making that comeback. Um, and I was, I had one more bullpen. We were going to throw one more bullpen, and then if that one didn't work out, then I was going to start moving, go back to the doctor, and start thinking about having that nerve moved. And from that point on, it just started getting better. Wow. Um, I didn't have it. the pain. I still occasionally got zingers, but I ended up wearing a compression sleeve on my arm that holds the nerve in place. And when I pitch, I don't have any problems. Unbelievable. That really is miraculous. You know, the amount of wear and tear on the human body just in general when you're, when you're not a pro athlete is, um, is obviously something that all of us need to need to pay attention to, need to keep track of. Tell me what your daily routine looks like, just in terms of, of when you're when you're back in the swing of things or when you're pitching and when you're playing. Tell me what it looks like. I know that you're I, you you should be reporting now, but you're re, you're still recuperating, which I appreciate. But tell me what it would look like. Um, during the regular season, I usually show up to the field about two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I spend all morning with my family, have lunch. Um, you know, maybe we go out, we we do something, we hang out. I've been very lucky that um, my wife and daughters have been able to come with me when I have played and when I've traveled. And I show up to the field about 2 o'clock. I usually have a cup of coffee. Um, I'll do the crossword puzzle, which uh, John Wetland gave me that idea. It's creating that separation between your home life and your baseball life. Wow. And take 20, 30 minutes to just kind of separate everything out because once you get to the field, it's all about your job. And after that, I would go into the gym or the weight room and I would warm up on the bicycle or treadmill. I would get my arms stretched. I would do abdominal exercises to keep my core strong. Um, I got to stop you for a second. I want to hear more about the crossword puzzle because I think it's fantastic. For me, and I totally understand that, and obviously my getting on the subway and getting on the train to come to the studio is completely different than you stepping out onto the field. But I also, I mean, again, on a different level, like once I start commuting into Manhattan to get to the studio, I'm in a different zone. I have shifted from putting my kids on the bus and making lunch and making sure everybody's set to being in work mode. So it's phenomenal to me, or just, just you know, whatever. It, it's 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 so cool that what you've chosen to separate those two worlds is a crossword puzzle. Mm-hmm. What, what about the crossword puzzle does it? Well, I'm not very good at crossword puzzles, so <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just the ability to zone out and, and to focus on something else. Well, it's better than Candy Crush, my friends. I imagine that if you were sitting there playing Candy Crush after a certain amount of time, it would just, it would not sharpen your game, so to speak. I, I try to stay away from computers, Twitter, um, social media. I, I try to stay away from my cell phone. Matter of fact, I turn my cell phone off when I'm at the field. Not so much since I've had kids, but I don't check it. Just because you don't want the distraction? Right. Is that is that also from like a professional or a faith kind of based decision? For me, that that's just me. Got it. I, I found in, you know, everybody's different. There are guys that can be doing all of that all the time and it doesn't bother them at all. 
but I found that if I was constantly checking my phone or checking social media that I, I wasn't focusing on what I needed to be focusing on. And I've, just personally, I've, I've never been that good to where I could not put all my effort into it and succeed. So anything that became a distraction for me, I had to eliminate. There's so much discipline in your life. It's really um, incredibly laudable. Um and as a person who serves as a role model to millions and millions of kids, um, it's it's so commendable that you have set up so many different just I don't want to use the word barriers, but almost like controls in your life to make sure that you stay focused. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Well, you can you can focus too much on the controls, and then those become um, superstitions. Mm, I hear that. I, I was It was funny because I was buckling my, um, I was fixing the straps on my coat this morning, like over and over again, just because they would, didn't feel right. And I'm like, you know, I'm a little bit like Nomar right now, just with the straps. Yeah. <laughs> open exactly. And, exactly. Open and on and numbers and whatever. Tell me for a second, if you will, because we don't have that much time left. Oh, talk to me for a second about the moment that you decided or realized that you really needed to have Tommy John surgery. That was an easy one. Um, I was pitching in Louisville. I had been hurt all spring, and I, I was sent to Louisville for supposed to be two weeks to get more innings before rejoining the Major League Club. And I'd been there about 10 days, and I threw a pitch, and I was pitching really well at that point. And I threw a pitch, and I felt a pop. Oh. And I stepped off the I got the ball back. I stepped off the mound. I had two strikes on the guy, two outs. And I'm like, that's not good. Oh. But, I'm, but I'm not coming out of the game with two strikes, two outs. So I was like, well, let's let's give this another shot. <laughs> and I threw another pitch. I don't remember the pitch, except that the guy popped out in foul territory. Um, I walked into the – and it, I mean, it hurt. Like, I, I saw white. I don't, oh. I don't remember the actual pitch. Oi. But I walked into the dugout. I grabbed the trainer. And it, it was probably about a 150-foot walk up the – the hallway to the training room and by the time I got to the training room my arm was swollen and I only had about maybe 20 degrees movement and I was oh, kind of stuck word. oh my word and yeah it's just at that point you just kind of know it's like oh this is great and same thing when I tore my shoulder last year it's just I felt it go I finished the inning and the next I was like this can't be good and the next day I couldn't throw so what so what's the next step in terms of your rehab and getting back out on the mound um, right now I'm throwing out to 90 feet, and it's just continuing that progression of throwing three times a week, and then it'll it'll start into four times a week, five times a week, and then it will be bullpens and then live batting practices and then simulated games. And then at that point I'm hoping to use the William Mary baseball team to throw to hitters, you know, come spring. Do they like having you around? I, I think so. I haven't really been around so much um, because of just, the demand of school and family and then working out and throwing. So I haven't been around a ton, but they've been very open to having me around. I've been out a few times. Um, but as I get on a more regular throwing routine, I'm hoping to work out with them more. And I know that you had mentioned um, off the air that one of your favorite baseball moments as a pitcher um, was in the playoffs against Philly in 2010. You pitched the bottom of the eighth uh, in the game that Roy Halladay threw that no-hitter. Mm-hmm. What was that? I mean, euphoric. Is that the right? Is that the right word? I mean, being a part of that. At, at the time, no, it was terrible. <laughs> you can't. I mean, you can't imagine the the feeling of getting no hit in the playoffs. You've played so well all year, um, and then you get to the playoffs and you get no hit in your first playoff game. <laughs> but looking back now, I mean, going into the game. You're so locked in. Your adrenaline is just going absolutely crazy. The hardest part is controlling your adrenaline. Right. And Philadelphia isn't the biggest stadium. It feels compact, and they they really pack it in. And they're so loud. <laughs> it's like the twelfth man. Exactly. It was. It, that's exactly what it is. It was an amazing experience just running in. And so I, I get through the inning. I'm walking off the field, and there's a standing ovation. Uh. And I'm like. Why am I getting a standing up? What is going on here? Like, what what's going on? And then all of a sudden you hear it, and it's Roy, 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 and you re- and I realize that Roy Howley's throwing a no hitter, uh. and he's coming out for the top of the ninth to finish us off. Uh. 
it, it, I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, you know, of course, we wanted that hit so bad. We wanted to win that game. Um, and then after the game in the clubhouse, it was just this silence. Oh. It, I mean, it was just this complete dejected feeling like, oh, my God. But looking back now, it, it is very cool to have pitched in a game that right. is one of two no-hitters in postseason history. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know, my my all my experience with pitching is basically Kevin Costner and for love of the game. Like that's all I imagine. Um, you know, as being the guy who's standing up on that on that mound. Do you do you even like when you look at these baseball movies? And with this, I I really I mean I appreciate so much your time, and we only literally only have like a minute left. But you watch these baseball movies. Like, do they do anything for you? You think they're ridiculous? I, I tried clear the mechanism, and it didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I stare off in the space. I stare off at the sky, or uh, just a random spot in the stadium where I'm, I'm not looking at people, and I just kind of zone, and then I go back to what I'm doing. Um, but hit the bull definitely has some merit to it. Um, and 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 of course, Field of Dreams. I mean, that is one of my top three of all time. Of course, I think that's every baseball fan's one of their top movies. I mean, it's just a, it's it's a classic, and you. you dream about meeting your heroes like that. Right. Right. If you had to meet somebody, who would it be? And this will be my last question. I want to meet Sandy Koufax. Really? That, that's my all-time hero. Wow. Like, greatest left-handed pitcher ever. Wow. Wow. That is a... I know, I know. I, 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 my my engineer, Rummy, is looking at me like, you know, you got to move this along. I know, I know, I know. But I could sit here with Bill all day. Anyway, Bill... You're a doll. You are invited on this uh, back to this show any time you want. I wish you complete luck in your um, in con- your continued rehab. I hope you'll check in with us again soon. I know you're gonna be traveling pretty soon, um, but when you guys start warming up and you start playing with William and Mary, I hope you'll come back um, and talk to us a little bit more. Absolutely. Just just let me know and I'll be here. You got it, Bill. Thanks so much, Bill Bray, joining us. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And she is, she is, oh, I thought she, oh, okay. Oh, well, I didn't hear that, Avram. That's fascinating. All right, well, Allison Josephs will be back on with us um, in about a second. Avram, get on the, get on the, uh, get on the mic for Yes, a here I am. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> you live in Baltimore, but you're still a Yankee fan, right? Honestly, I'm n- I was never really a baseball fan. Okay, you know what? Is there sorry. another engineer I could use for a second? <laughs> was this a bad segment for yeah, that? I'm sorry. You could have lied. I don't know. I don't want to lie. I'm sure that uh, he wouldn't have wanted me to lie. He Who, seemed, Bill? Yeah. Isn't he a nice guy? Yes, and he seemed like a pretty a straightforward guy, you know, so I don't think he would have appreciated if I would have lied. Oh. So, sorry. Well, <laughs> all right, so then living in Baltimore and being amongst, you know, Baltimore fans, you understand the power of baseball in life. Oh, yeah, I actually did go to one game there in Baltimore this Congrats. past year. That's Congrats. right. You've lived there for how many it years? It was good, four years. <laughs> I have yet to go to a Ravens game. <laughs> I don't think that makes you a fan, by the way. No, I'm not into a fan, but oh, I hear. I think she's on now, so you can stop talking. The obligatory time of talking to <laughs> Romy is done. Hold on, let's... Allison Joseph should be on the line. Let's see if she is there now. Let's just make sure I confirm. Allison Joseph from Jew in the City joins us now on the air. Avram, do we have Allison? Allison, you there? I am there. Hey, fantastic. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. You are a Major League Baseball player, by the way, in your own light, and I'm not just saying that to be funny or to segue from a rummy not knowing anything about baseball. Um, all right, you don't. It's okay. It's okay. But, Allison, you play in a completely different field and a completely different forum, and one of the goals, if not the mission of Jew in the City, is to dispel notions that people have about Orthodox Jews. Correct. And not so much sports involved because I'm not really the athlete, but I've worked with some athletes before, so... Okay, well, I, <laughs> and and working with those athletes, are they are they Orthodox athletes, or are there are people who are looking you're looking to, or they're looking to you for for the spiritual guidance. Oh, I was referring to uh, Tamir Goodman and Dimitri Salida, who we did um, some video. We did a video with, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago. Uh, first professional boxer and first right. professional. Um, basketball player, both orthodox. Right. So tell me what it was like for them and you giving them, you know, advice or, or guidance or whatever about how to dispel notions um, about being orthodox within a very non-orthodox world. 
Well, I think they both actually dispelled a lot of myths as it was. I know that Dimitri Salida, that sort of is, you know, part of what his career was about, to sort of be out there as the Orthodox Jew. That was really what he was doing on his own. One thing I'll say that's interesting about Tamir Goodman, something that I've noticed, is that when he was, you know, about, I guess, 10 years ago when there was a lot of news coverage about him, they called him the Jewish Jordan. They didn't call him the Orthodox Jewish Jordan, Mm -hmm. but the Jewish Jordan. And something that I've noticed that happens in the media is that when we do something bad, when we steal, when we molest, when we, you know, cheat the government, then we're Orthodox Jews or ultra-Orthodox Jews. When we do something that people might like or might, you know, find uh, desirable or relatable, then we're just Jewish. So um, that's something that I pointed out to, you know, the Maccabees when we did this video as well. They call them, you know, they're referred to as a Jewish a cappella group from Yeshiva University, or Tamir Goodman is, you know, the Jewish Jordan, or even Idan Pinchot from America's Got Talent. He was a semifinalist. Right. He was the kippah-clad crooner, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. the orthodox Jewish crooner. So it's just sort of an interesting thing um, to point out to people that are proudly living as orthodox Jews, but the media often doesn't frame them as orthodox when they're likable. <laughs> that's interesting, and I, I would definitely... Uh, I'm going to definitely admit that that's not something I ever picked up on on my own. I guess nobody notices when somebody is reform or otherwise. But is that because when um, when we do something wrong, when we transgress both either in public or in private, or specifically in this case in, in public, that people expect us to be better than that? And therefore, the transgression is that much more because we are Orthodox? Look, it could be, although I think what was exciting about Tamir Goodman was that he was this religious Jew, right? He was this guy with the yarmulke. He was this guy that wouldn't play on Shabbos. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I think what made the stories interesting about Demetrius Salida and, you know, Idan on, the, um, you know, America's Got Talent, I think it, their Jewishness was um, what, you know, the, the stories were picking up on. I just think that, um, really, I think the word orthodox is just associated with a lot of negative things. Look, when I was younger and I would go to, like, Great Adventure or, like, one of these parks, it was probably during Cholamoid, and I didn't know why all these Jews were out, but I would, like, see them in different types of dress, like one with a hat and one with, like, you know, a long jean skirt and keds and one with seam stockings, and I didn't quite know. I knew they were all, like, these Jewy people, but I didn't know the difference between the groups. There's really a, um, a lack of understanding outside of the orthodox world about one group from another. So much so that in my old apartment building, there was a woman that lived on the floor below me. And, you know, very friendly, nicer woman, older secular Jewish woman, probably like in her 60s. And she stops me in the elevator one day and she says, I'm starting a new hat business and I want to make hats for the women of your community. And the women in my community were very modern. And she said, what do you wear? I said, I don't know, we wear cute hats. She said, well, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. Open a magazine. What's, that? What's in style is what we wear. And she stopped me for a second, and she said, so you wear pillbox hats, right? Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, pillbox hat? You, you <laughs> think I'm somber, don't you? <laughs> and, like, it really solidified to me in that moment that she was seeing me with her stereotype and not with her eyes. All those years I thought that I was, you know, giving off, like, you know, cute, trendy, like, you know, sneeze, modest, but, you know, also in the world and um, and she couldn't see past the fact that, you know, um, I was an Orthodox Jew and therefore I must also wear a pillbox hat. So, look, they certainly um, expect more of us, like you said, and that's true. Like, you know, if a priest does something bad, you know, they'll call them out on it. My, my biggest issue is that I, I think that if we only get labeled as Orthodox and we do the bad things, then people don't have an association that Orthodox can also mean, you know, living out your dreams and can also mean, you know, having a great job or, you know, um, helping people or, you know, that sort of thing. And so whatever the reason for why it happens, I believe that the result of what it is is that, you know, people have a misunderstanding. Also, if you look at TV and movies, when is there ever just an Orthodox character that has a great job, right, that has a beautiful wife? Like, the characters in, like, you know, Law and Order are always, like, these very extreme people, like, oh, yo, yo, I must speak to my Rebbe now. Like, they never smile. They, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. they never show some, a, different, a different flavor or color within Orthodoxy. It's always sort of the most Hasidic with, like, you know, glued on payas. You know, it's funny because I went to, I mean, not haha funny, but I went to a, a business meeting a number of months ago. And um, I had never, it was myself and the person who was, and I'm using this word loosely, acting as the shadchan between me and the second party. Yeah. And um, the second, the person who was the second party, let's just call that person Allison because it's easier for the conversation. Sure. So Allison had a lot of preconceived notions about Orthodox Jews. Mm. And I walk into this meeting, again, having never met Allison before in my life. Yeah. And I walk into this meeting and she looks at me and she says, well, that doesn't look like a wig. And I said to her, well, frankly, I paid a lot of money, so it shouldn't look like a wig. 
And so then, and remember, we haven't exchanged names yet. Sure. We haven't shaken hands. We haven't done any of that. And then she says to me, well, is your head shaved under there? And I knew that one was coming next, by the yeah. way. I could have told you that was coming yeah, next. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. It would have been helpful had you told me at that moment. Because I looked at her and I said, uh, no, it's actually tied up in a bun. But I, I'm Miriam. Nice to meet you. And I put out my hands. Right. And, and, like, during the conversation, and I, uh, during this meeting, which went on for about an hour and a half, we got out a lot, and I, uh, a lot of her misnomers. And I said yeah. to her, I said, ask me anything. Yeah. You can literally ask me anything. Yeah. And she asked me about having a lot of kids, and she asked me about this, and she asked me about that. I'm like, right. and I said to her, don't worry, by the end of this conversation, you'll be keeping Shabbos and coming with me to light candles. <laughs> and she like, and she rolled her eyes, but I sort of completely understand what you're saying because I'm getting that. And, and yeah. I had been in D.C. a couple of months ago, and um, I met somebody who told me that he was half Jewish, which is yeah. always you know, endearing. And um, I said to him, he goes, but I don't think I look Jewish. Do you think I look Jewish? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. Do I look Jewish? And he looks at me and goes, no, you look like you're from New York. Now, I didn't even know what that meant either. But um, <laughs> but it was sort of like, I don't, I didn't even know how to, I'm like, right. oh, yeah, I have nothing. I have nothing for you. I don't know right. what to say. Um, but I get that. I get the fact that people have 9,000 questions about 9,000 whatever. And and, and your mission is not unfounded because it's almost like you are re-educating the public as to how to look at Orthodox Jews because what they think is, is is I don't want to say isn't right, but what they think needs to be clarified. Well, you know, I think there's um, a lack of understanding within some parts of the Orthodox community of how misunderstood we are. Like, if you're a nice person we're and, misunderstood I don't know, by each other forget about the outside world right it's true no we for sure i i think within even different segments of the orthodox community we have you know the wrong idea and whatever it's always more things to work on but um you know when our all-stars video came out last year my friend said she saw some conversations on facebook kind of like why do you know, we you know, this video need to promote that people have you know amazing jobs duh everyone knows that we can and the truth is that they don't. Um, and then other people, you know, wrote on Facebook on the Jew in the City page, you know, it's 2013. Everybody knows that Orthodox women can work. And literally two days ago when I was posting on Facebook, one of our uh, fans is becoming more observant. She's a surgeon, and she's looking to connect with other female surgeons. And I put out sort of a call, are there any from female surgeons out there that I can connect this woman with? And a woman in the comment section said, I didn't know that Orthodox Jewish women could be professionals. That was one thing that was holding me back from exploring this further. And, you know, and I've seen this again and again. I was interviewed by the Daily Beast a couple years ago. Um, Mindy Myers was running for New York State Senate, and the secular Jewish woman wanted to interview me about which Torah source prevents a woman from working. So I was like, great, more coverage for Jew in the city. I call her up, and I said, none. She said, what do you mean? Unbelievable. Tons of Orthodox women work. And she's fighting with me about that, which she doesn't know. And for me, it's a very personal, it's my world. I said, I've been to many different communities. I said, maybe the least bit in the Hasidic world. I said, a ton in the Lubavitch world. I said, more women working than men in the Yeshivish world. Right. I wouldn't said, they, oh. would, not to interrupt, but wouldn't they be stunned to hear how many women work while their husbands learn and they believe that they're that they're tough kid. Their job in this world is to work and provide so that their husbands can learn. So she she didn't want to believe me. Eventually she backed down a little bit. She said maybe my secular bias is getting in the way. I was uh. like, yeah, think. And then she <laughs> said, okay, fine. She said, well, what do they do? Run shops? Oh. I said, yeah, some run shops and some run companies and some run law firms and medical practices. It was so like just so openly condescending. And the thing is that, look, I can't blame people for thinking these things because I thought horrible things about Orthodox Jews. Just yesterday, I'm on uh, Shutterstock looking for some, uh, you know, um, images to license of rabbis to put on a new post that we're doing. This picture, a couple different vectors that I saw of rabbis, you should see this. It's just like, you know, a black and white drawing, very basic, um, payas, the hat, the beard, but the face is in a frown, and the eyebrows are drawn so they're pointing downwards towards the nose, like oh angry, oh angry, and mean. And for whoever, you know, submitted this, I'm not, you know, condemning all of Shutterstock, but whoever submitted this vector, you know, imagery of rabbis, I think that that's what his perception of these ultra-Orthodox Jews are. They're stern, they throw rocks, they have modesty patrols. 
It's just, it's, it's so sad. And I'm not saying that there aren't people within these communities that do bad things. Right. Unfortunately, there are. <laughs> right. But, like, only they make the news and the nice, happy, normal people, which is the majority of us, um, it's not newsworthy to most, people, um, you know, media outlets, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, happy Jews don't make the paper. So, you know, I, that's what social media is for. That why, you know, this interaction that you had with this woman, this one-on-one conversation, Right. You did an amazing job, and if we could have Orthodox Jews doing this throughout the world for all people, then maybe Jew in the city wouldn't need to exist. But there's only a limited number of us, and we live in a certain number of cities because we need shuls and mikvahs and that sort of thing. And so there's just no way for us to reach every person, you know, in the world. And so with, through social media, what I saw, you know, seven years ago when I started Jew in the city is that you could take one person and sort of make it feel like you're meeting that person when you're seeing their, you know, videos on YouTube and their status updates. There sort of becomes this feeling of having a relationship. And I meet people all the time who say they feel like they know me, and I see people write comments all the time, Allison was the first Orthodox Jewish woman that I got to know. Like, even though there's no connection on my side, but that's exactly what I want people to see, that, like, instead of just sort of seeing it from afar and that group is so weird, to make it more up close and more personal, and really to give people the most information possible. That, like, my feeling is that I'm not going to tell you what to do once you have all the information, but at least see us for who we are and who we're not, and then you can make an educated decision about how much or how little of this you want in your life. Do you think that it makes a difference, and I'm not saying this to be funny, but do you think that it makes a difference that your name is Allison and your name and whatever your Hebrew name is is not necessarily what you go by professionally? I think it makes it easier to relate. Look, um, this was something that, as I was becoming observant, um, I was thinking about, do I change to Hana? That's my Hebrew name. Ah, okay. And I had already made so many changes in my dress and my diet and how I spent my time. And I found out that it wasn't, you know, halacha to change my name to go by Hana. And I felt like I want to give my family and friends, like, one last piece to hold on to me. Like, I think my personality stayed the same, you know, for the most part. Um, but... I made a lot of changes on them, and I know it freaked a bunch of them out, and I felt like if I now make them start calling me Hana, that's going to maybe push them over the edge. And so I felt like that's sort of a way for me to have, you know, at least the conversation started. First of all, Hana is also hard to pronounce a little bit, you know. Right. Like you would be, yeah, you would be Chana. Um, you would be Chana for a while. Exactly. Right. So, um, so, yeah, I think it's sort of one little nuanced thing that um, it just – it opens things up. And look, my kids all have Hebrew names, and my husband has a Hebrew name, and but they started off that way, and that's how people met them. And when I met friends after I had already made the switch to being observant, um, they could handle me more than, I think, some of my family and friends from, you know, the olden days who knew me pre-Chuva uh, could handle me um, just because they sort of saw that change in me. And even though I don't think it was, you know, terribly drastic, I think I still sort of retain sort of the essence of who I am, um, I know for them it was hard, and so for them I did that, and I think it, it does help for other people because it's just sort of one more thing that we can have in common. Right. I agree with you, and even though it's clearly not a marketing ploy, I'm not even insinuating that in the least bit, it works. It really helps, and I and I can tell you as a person whose name is Miriam, yeah. it's, it's butchered all the time. It yeah. is, uh, I mean, I, people know, I joke about it, I, I joke about it often, that my Starbucks name is Mary. It is a, a thousand times easier. And one, one of my favorite, one of my favorite little Mary episodes was um, I was standing online getting my cup of coffee. What's your name for the cup? It's Mary. Not yeah. knowing that there was a from guy standing behind me. And all of a sudden I hear Mary, really? And I turn around. It's a from guy with the Yamaha. And I just started laughing. I'm like, you want me to write Miriam? It's a killer. So there is something, um, there is something about just that initial, hi, my name is Allison, that makes it even much more approachable. And I think that that's one of the things that also that brings people to you is that approachability. It's not just that you are a normal, and you and I are going to use that word, a normal Orthodox Jew, and you are trying to make sure people know that Orthodox Jews are normal. Right. But it's also that you're approachable. Right. I mean, look, I I was seeing this happening on like a one-on-one basis that people were telling me, I, I didn't know that they could be so normal. Huh, this is surprising me. And so, you know, with the power of social media, it just sort of took the ability to take those interactions and then just sort of broadcast it all over. And we were just looking at our Google Analytics. We literally reached people in 150 countries in the world. I was telling this our director of marketing. She's like, 
there only are like 150 countries in the world. I was like, yay. Um, but it's, it's pretty incredible that you can take that, you know, interaction and then just sort of get it everywhere. I'll tell you one other thing that happened recently, which, again, is just so telling in my mind. Um, I met uh, a doctor recently at a party in the city, a, a holiday party, and we were talking about what we did and what our jobs are. Oh, I, I read talking... this blog post. You just posted this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it's great. Tell everybody about it. So, um, you know, telling each other about our jobs and um, telling about you in the city, and this guy has lived in the city for years and, you know, presumably seen Orthodox Jews at least from afar or across the street or, you know, nearby. And as I'm telling him that, you know, we're trying to show the world that, you know, there's normal, balanced, open-minded, educated Orthodox Jews out there, he stops me and he says, is this like a new movement with an Orthodoxy? <laughs> and I was just sort of like taken aback for a moment because even though that I know that like we need to be doing this, um, and I know there's a lot of misunderstandings out there. Like, I couldn't believe, like, someone educated, someone that's been living really, like, in the heart of, you know, Orthodox Jewry right. didn't know that. I said, no, there's always been normal, balanced, you know, nice, honest people out there in the Orthodox community. Most of us are, actually. You just never hear about us. And so, um, you know, if the people that are living amongst us and who are highly educated are getting things wrong, then how much more so people that live nowhere near an Orthodox Jew, and don't have as much education. I sat on a plane ride with a guy a couple years ago coming back from a talk in Milwaukee. The guy lives in New Jersey right outside the city, works in Manhattan every day. He told me he had never knowingly spoken to an Orthodox Jew in his life. Stop it. So maybe there's a woman, you know, that he's spoken to in a shade till he didn't know, or a guy without a yarmulke on in a professional setting he didn't know, but he had never sat down. And and then it turned out that his wife was actually halakhically Jewish, and her her grandparents were in the Holocaust. And her grandfather told the, the this guy's mother-in-law, like, leave it, go away from it. You know, they tried to kill us. Oh. If you get away from, you know, who you are or where you are, then, like, they'll never come after us again. So, he, this, you know, Holocaust survivor raised his daughter with no Jewish connection, who raised wow. her daughter, this guy's wife, with no Jewish connection. And I said to him, I don't know if anyone ever told you this, but your kids are actually Jewish according to Jewish law. Well, how did and, they like, take that? And, like, at the very that? end, I gave him my card and I said... Sometimes people, a few generations later, somehow find their way back if anyone's ever interested, you know, they how to reach us. And so. did you hear from him? Um, I didn't, but you know what? What I figured is that, like, once he had the card and the website in the pocket, maybe she's doing laundry and she finds it in her, his, you know, pants right. pocket. And who knows? All I can do is put the information out there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I feel like my job is to educate and break down, you know, sort of these stereotypes and misinformation. And then once I've done my best, then, you know, whatever happens after that is... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, no, I agree with you on that. You, um, at some point or another, you have to, <laughs> you as the teacher have to walk away and hope that the students have absorbed the lessons that you've, uh, that you've taught them and that they implement them properly. I just want to take two seconds to mention that Allison and I and Nahum will all be with Legendary Destinations this Pesach in Fort Myers, legendarydestinations.com. I should also mention that the open house that was supposed to take place this evening from 5 to 8 at the Jewish Museum, 1109 Fifth Avenue, is not taking place due to the weather. I'm looking outside right now, and now I can see across the street, but I guarantee come 5 o'clock, that will no longer be the case. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> all I can do right now is just, like, dream of that trip right now because, like, that's really all I can uh, right. do to keep myself sane in this weather. So. Yeah, I totally, totally hear that. The truth of the matter is, is I happen to love the snow, but, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Pesach also. And I'm looking forward to being with you down there and your family. Definitely. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. Anyway, Allison Joseph's from Jew in the City. It's JewInTheCity.com. Check out her latest blog post and everything else uh, that, they, that, that Allison has to offer. And make sure to be in contact with Allison should you want her to come speak in your community. Allison, open mic here for you anytime you want to join me. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me. You're listening to That's Live here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you to everyone who tuned in on this snowy day. I suggested that you grab yourself a you know, good cup of hot cocoa and some fuzzy slippers and sit back and enjoy the show. I hope you did. Let's go through the lineup. In about five or six minutes, the live lunch will start. And as I mentioned before, I am subbing in for Nahum. Rami and I are, um, are left to take care of the live lunch. It's daring, but it's true. We are here, and we're excited about that. So make sure to send in your requests, either af at nachumsegel.com or Miriam at NahumSiegel.com as well. So at 1 p.m., Mayor Fertig hosts a new stunt show, then at 2, which is Throwback Thursdays, where we encore JM and AM from years past. 
buy the book encore it comes up after that and then an encore, then uh, michael fragan with spin class at 6 p.m don't forget the encore of homeward bound as well it was an excellent excellent episode with you gal siegel this week join nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as they host jmam live here on the stream nachumsegel.com jmam.org and then naomi table for two at 9 a.m updated 2014 schedule is on our site my thanks to bill bray you can follow him on twitter wp bray that's at wp bray that is his handle and of course allison josephs you should sign up for everything having to do with jew in the city congrats to listener Arye in seattle not only did they win the super bowl but he also won the kosher lamp so Arye, thank you so much and uh shout out to all the mymans in seattle as that they are the reason why i wore all that paraphernalia and was a member of the 12th man two weeks ago in the meantime i leave you with soul farm's Walk With Me off their new album, The Bridge. They will also be at Legendary Destinations for Pesach. Stay tuned, folks. The live launch starts just a few minutes. And by the way, here's a winter tip. If you're wearing your shaitel in the snow, you will end up looking like there is a dead cat on your head. Just saying. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Let me fall into your arms At the end of the day And get lost On your ancient pathways A moment of quiet When I'm on my knees Oh, in a burning sun Let me find some peace Oh, I know what this is worth And how much it means And now I'm